بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So today then we're on the hadith of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu qal qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-mu'minu lil-mu'mini kal-bunyan yashuddu ba'duhu ba'da wa shabbaka bayna asabi'ah muttafaqun alayhi In this hadith of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu, he says that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that a believer to another believer is like a building, a structure that it strengthens each other. The believer to another believer is like a building, like a structure all of it strengthening each of it. All parts strengthening other parts together. وَشَبَّكَ بَيْنَ أَصَابِعَةً And he put together his fingers to illustrate that. This hadith is muttafaqun alayh, which is agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, the strongest type of hadith that you can have. So هَذَا حَدِيثٌ عَظِيمٌ فيه الخبر من النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عن المؤمنين أنهم على هذا الوصف. This is a tremendous narration. Within it, we are told that the believers, one to another, the believers one to another, have strength and fortitude in this manner one to another. وَيَتَضَمَّنُ الْحَثْ مِنْهُ عَلَى مُرَاعَاتْ هَذَا الْأَصْلِ وَأَنْ يَكُونُوا إِخْوَانًا مُتَرَاحِمِينَ مُتَحَابِّينَ مُتَعَاطِفِينَ This hadith is also an encouragement for the believers. An encouragement for the believers to look after and to guard over this principle. Which principle? Which issue, the issue of the love and the unity and the brotherhood that believers have amongst themselves. This hadith is an encouragement to guard over that. And that is something which is of importance. It is of importance, of great importance that the believers, they realize and they understand this principle of loving one another united upon that truth, united upon that one methodology, strengthening one another upon that methodology. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan, he mentions in some of the explanations, particularly regarding the issue of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. He said, all of us as humans, we are weak. No doubt, all of us we fall into error. All of us fall into weakness. 
we fall into shortcoming. All of us, that happens to us. But in those times, when we experience that shortfall, we experience that shortcoming, then it requires that we have brothers who love for us what they love for themselves. And they aid us, they aid you. They see a person in their community struggling. They see a person in their community perhaps weak in his iman at a certain time, struggling with his iman at a certain time. So they aid and they help and they strengthen him. They aid and they help one another upon goodness and righteousness when seeing somebody is maybe falling into shortcoming. So this hadith, it is an encouragement for us to have mercy one to another, to have that kindness and generosity and love and cooperation one to another. يُحِبُّ كُلٌّ مِّنْهُمْ لِلْآخَرْ مَا يُحِبُّ لِنَفْسِهِ وَيَسْعَى فِي ذَلِكَ Everybody loves for their brother what they love for themselves and they strive for that. They strive for that for what? For goodness for themselves and for goodness for their brothers. Because the principle is, as the hadith mentions, لَا يُؤْمِنُ أَحَدُكُمْ حَتَّى يُحِبَّ لِأَخِيهِ مَا يُحِبُّ لِنَفْسِهِ None of you is a true believer until you love for your brother what you love for yourself. This also means that you hate for your brother what you hate for yourself. You hate something bad should happen to your brother because... You hate something bad should happen to you. So just like you love the good for your brother, then you hate the bad should occur to your brother. Just like you love the good to happen to yourself, and you hate the bad to happen to yourself. And this is a great principle, if only the people, they recognized it. Loving for your brother what you love for yourself, hating for him what you hate for yourself. Because by doing that, you are not decreasing anything from yourself. By doing that, you are not decreasing anything for yourself. Rather, it is the shaitan that whispers to you to behave in a manner that is in opposition to that, and therefore behave in a manner of envy. That a person envies what his brother has, a sister envies what her sister has, that envy, as a Sheikh Al-Fawzan mentioned, is an old disease. Envy is an old disease. And it is mentioned that the first one to envy, where envy began, was with, with Iblis himself. Iblis envied. He envied Adam alayhi salam had envy towards him, when Allah commanded them all to prostrate to Adam alayhi salam. وَإِذْ قَالَ اللَّهُ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ اسْجُدُوا لِآدَمِ فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا إِبْلِيسِ When Allah said to all of the angels, prostrate, all of them prostrated, except Iblis. 
Why not? Because of his envy toward Adam alayhi salam. Envy that Allah had created him with his own two hands. Envy that Allah had favored him in the manner that he had. Envy that Allah commanded them all to prostrate to him. And that envy led him to his kufr. The believers are warned against such characteristics. They are warned against such evil characteristics. Loving for your brother what you love for yourself doesn't decrease it from you. You think that if you love for your brother goodness as you love it for yourself, that your brother may end up getting it and you don't? That is from the weakness of your understanding. From the weakness of your understanding. And that is why Ash-Shaykh al-Ithaymeen, rahimahullah mentioned, love for your brother what you love for yourself. If you see that your brother has something magnificent that you desire, love for him that he has that thing and be happy for him. And you make dua to Allah that Allah gives it to you too. What is preventing that your dua will be answered and you will have what your brother has too. So there is no need for envy. Envy is that you desire your brother loses those blessings that he has. That's envy. Envy meaning you desire that your brother loses those blessings that he has because you haven't got them. Why? Is it going to decrease the kingdom of Allah that you make dua for the same blessing and you get it? Not at all. Like in the hadith it mentions, لَوْ أَنَّ أَوَّلَكُمْ وَآخِرَكُمْ وَإِنْسَكُمْ وَجِنَّكُمْ قَامُوا عَلَى صَعِيدٍ وَاحِدٍ If all of you, the jinn and the humans, from the beginning to the end, everyone was stood on one plane of land, فَسَأَلَ كُلُّ وَاحِدٍ مَسْأَلَتَهُ and every one of them made their dua. Not just the people alive right now, billions, but everybody ever. And not just the humans, all of the jinn. Every one of them stood together. Every one of them makes his dua. And if Allah answered the dua of every single one of them, it would not decrease the kingdom of Allah whatsoever. So what do you have to fear? Loving for your brother, the goodness and the blessings he's been given. Do you fear if you love that for him and make dua for him, that you may not end up getting it yourself? Rather love for him and make dua for him, and that will be a means of your own dua being answered and gaining what you desire. So here this hadith is an encouragement that we love for ourselves or rather for our brothers. For the Muslims, the believers, what we love for ourselves. وَأَنْ يَكُونُوا عَلَى هَذَا الْوَصْفِ فَإِنَّ الْبُنْيَانَ الْمَجْمُوعَ مِنْ أَسَاسَاتِ وَحِيطَانْ مُحِيطَ كُلِّيَّةِ وَحِيطَانْ تُحِيطُ بِالْمَنَازِلَ الْمُخْتَصَّةِ وَمَا تَتَضَمَّنُهُ مِنْ سُقُوفُ أَبْوَابَ مَصَالِحُ وَمَنَافِعُ كُلُّ نَوْعٍ مِنْ ذَلِكَ لَا يَقُومُ بِمُفْرَدِهِ حَتَّى يَنْضَمْ بَعْضُهَا إِلَى بَعْض the Shaykh, Ash-Shaykh Abdurrahman, As-Sa'di Rahimahullah goes on to say, A building cannot stand firm alone in separate parts. One wall does not have strength by itself unless it is attached and connected to the remainder of the walls. 
The roof has no strength unless it is connected and attached to the remainder of the structure. The doors by themselves would not stand unless they are connected into the frames, into the structure. So the shaykh says, this is how the unity of the Muslims needs to be. Buy yourselves in pockets. You have no strength. By itself, the door does not stand. The roof does not maintain itself. Rather, the structure has strength together when it is fixed together. So the shaykh says, this is how the believers should be, that they have that unity and strength together. The question obviously is, how do we attain this unity? That is the key. How do we attain this unity amongst the Muslims? How do we attain what Allah has told us in the Quran? وَتَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَى Cooperate upon righteousness, upon taqwa, upon piety. How do we do that? That is the key. And the Muslims, they have come about with their answers to this question. They have come about with their answers to this question of how we are all going to unite, how we are all going to be one body. And so they have come up with incorrect answers, many of them. The ikhwan al-Muslimin, they have come up with their answer as long as we all say, La ilaha illallah, the rest of it doesn't matter. We are all united now. That is not the meaning of unity. Unity and strength upon this way, cooperation upon this way will not work. Unity and strength and cooperation will only work if it is built upon a sound foundation. Just like the building, you can put it all together, but it will only have strength if it was initially built upon the solid and sound foundation. No matter how good the walls and the roof and the ceilings and the doors are, the building will not have strength unless it was built upon Strong foundations. So now this hadith tells us about the believers being like a building, strengthening and fortifying itself. But how is that building gonna get strength if the foundations it is built upon are the foundations and principles of strength? And what are they? That it be upon the Quran and the Sunnah, upon the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah, one aqidah, one methodology, one pathway. That methodology, that is the foundation for this building and this strength and this unity. If you do not have that as your foundation, everybody, you have freedom in aqidah. al-i'tiqad, believe whatever you want, have whatever aqidah you want. And then come, we all say, la ilaha illallah. You try to unite, you try to put your building together, but it shakes. It is not upon that solid foundation. That foundation is only one. The foundation of the methodology that the Prophet ﷺ has left for us. So you want the unity of the Muslims. You want this building. The example given in this hadith, that building of unity amongst the Muslims can only occur if that foundation has been built properly and the building is built upon it. That foundation is only one. 
the ikhwan al-Muslimin and all of their likes, they ignore that foundation. They have no foundation. They wish to build the building without laying any foundation. Believe whatever aqidah you want, have whatever methodology you want. As long as all of us, we vote together, we say la ilaha illallah, then we are all Muslim and we're all united. That is not the reality of unity. So here, the encouragement in the hadith is for the Muslims to love one another and to be upon unity. But the key to understand is that the unity and the love, all of this strength will only come in one way. And that is through those correct and sound foundations. As for the people of innovation and misguidance, they will take narrations like this, and they'll say to you, there you go, you Salafis are wrong. You Salafis are the ones who are weakening this building and this foundation, or this structure. You Salafis are weakening the unity by refuting these ones, and refuting those ones. Rather we say, that is strengthening the unity. Those innovators, those deviants, as Sheikh Al-Fawzan mentioned in one of his explanations, meanings to the effect that they are weaknesses in the structure. You have damp in your wall. What do you do? You remove that damp and you get it fixed. You have innovators amongst you. You cannot expect for that structure to remain strong with innovators and deviants amongst the structure. So you refute that innovation and you cross it out. Refute their incorrect way and promote only the correct way. That is how the unity will occur and the love between the Muslims and the strength. Then we move on to the next narration. عن أبي موسى رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان إذا أتاه سائل أو طالب حاجة قال اشفعوا فلتؤجروا وَيَقْضِ اللَّهُ عَلَى لِسَانِ رَسُولِهِ مَا شَاءَ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ This narration again is highlighting to us the need for these good morals and characteristics and behaviors that a Muslim should be upon. It mentions that if a person comes or if a person came to the Prophet ﷺ requesting something, some need, then he would say to them, to the others, intercede on behalf of him, you'll be rewarded. The meaning of this narration, that aid one another and help one another. هذا الحديث متضمن لأصل كبير وفائد عظيمة وهو أنه ينبغي للعبد أن يسعى في أمور الخير سواء أثمرت مقاصدها ونتائجها أو حصل بعضها أو لم يتم منها شيء وذلك كالشفاعة لأصحاب الحاجات عند الملوك والكبراء ومن ومن تعلقت حاجاتهم بهم فإن كثيرا من الناس يمتنع من السعي فيها إذا لم يعلم قبول شفاعته فيفوت على نفسه خيرا كثيرا من الله ومعروفا عند أخيه المسلم. So here the Sheikh he says that you strive for goodness. Whether you achieve the results of it or not, you strive for goodness and making intercession on behalf of those who are in need, 
then this is a means of goodness. فَلِهَذَا That is why the Prophet ﷺ told the people to help the ones who are in need amongst them. They see somebody in need amongst them, in difficulty amongst them, then the Prophet ﷺ commanded them to strive, to hasten, to help those in need amongst them, to hasten, to make intercession and speak on behalf of those in need, to do what you're able to help the one who is in need. And this is mentioned in many other narrations. In the hadith it mentions, كَانَ اللَّهُ فِعَوْنِ الْعَبْدِ مَا كَانَ الْعَبْدُ فِعَوْنِ أَخِي That Allah will be in the aid of a person as long as you are in the aid of your brother. You are in the help and the support of your brother. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be in your aid. In the narration it also mentions that whomsoever removes a difficulty from his brother in this world, then Allah will remove difficulty from you on the day of judgment. The reward is from the same type of action that you do. You help one another, you are in the aid and the service of your brothers and sisters, aiding the believers and helping them, striving and putting yourself out for them, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be in your need, will be in your uh, uh, helping your affair on that day, removing the difficulties and the calamities of the day of judgment from you. All of this is mentioned from the beautiful characteristics that a Muslim should be upon. So this hadith, it is an encouragement upon that. It is an encouragement for the people to strive in goodness for one another. And there are many narrations that talk about these beautiful characteristics a Muslim should be upon. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned in a hadith, إِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُ لِأُتَمِّمَ مَكَارِمَ الْأَخْلَاقِ That I was sent to perfect and to, con- to complete and perfect the mannerisms and those mannerisms, they are various forms mentioned to us in all of our lives for the various things we do, including our mannerisms and dealings in uh, behaving towards other Muslims. Then after that, we have the narration of Aisha radiallahu anha, أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالْ أَنزِلُ النَّاسَ مَنَازِلَهُمْ Place the people upon their levels. In this hadith, Aisha radiallahu anha mentions that the Prophet ﷺ said, Place the people upon their levels. Do not exaggerate and raise people above their level. And do not fall short and reduce people, degrade people below their levels. Rather place every person upon the level he is. This hadith, as the scholars have mentioned again, is a principle in our religion. 
to place the people upon their levels. Not to exaggerate and raise people above their levels, and neither to fall short and to reduce and degrade people below their levels. That as an example you see it from the Prophet ﷺ himself, where he warned the people from raising him above his level. There are narrations where the Prophet ﷺ warned the ummah from ever raising him above his position. In the famous narration he said, لا تطروني كما أطرت النصارى عيسى بن مريم. Don't raise me up as the Christians they did with Isa alayhi salam. Don't raise me up like that, like the Christians did with Isa alayhi salam. Exaggeration in praise to the level that they began to say he is God Himself, that He has some element of lordship in Him. That he is the son and all of the different types of lies that they made from their excessiveness, their exaggeration in raising and praising Isa alayhi salam. So the Prophet ﷺ said, do not raise me in that way as the Christians they did with Isa alayhi salam. In other narrations, the Prophet ﷺ used to forbid anyone after his death from making his grave a place of worship or like any type of shrine. In the hadith it mentions, he said, لا تتخذوا قبري عيدا Do not take my grave as an Eid. What does it mean, do not take my grave as an Eid? Anyone? Don't make my grave an Eid. Mm. So the meaning of the narration is the frequent visitation. Don't make it some regular scheduled thing every day after Fajr we have to visit the grave. Don't go into this exaggeration. The Sahaba never did that. Sahaba never used to go regularly visiting. Rather as it is mentioned they used to go occasionally. Occasionally they would go and give the salam upon the Prophet ﷺ. Not that they would go regularly and they were there living in Medina. But it is not mentioned they would go after every prayer or after every Jumu'ah, after every Fajr like people do when they go there. This is exaggeration. The Prophet ﷺ said, do not take my grave as a place of scheduled and regular visitation. In other narrations, he mentioned, لَعَنَ اللَّهُ الْيَهُودَ وَالنَّصَارَ اتَّخَذُوا قُبُورًا أَنْبِيَائِهِمْ مَسَاجِدٍ Allah cursed the Jews and the Christians who took the graves of their prophets, of their righteous as places of worship. So that exaggeration is not allowed. That exaggeration is prohibited, that excessiveness, to the degree some people have done that now with the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. And so there are people out there who claim, that the Prophet ﷺ is hadir nadir, that he is everywhere and he sees everything. He is everywhere and he sees everything. So you know those famous stories, famous by now, some of the people, some of the Sufis, 
they claim this, that the Prophet is everywhere and he hears and he sees. So in Ramadan, when they bring that chair and they put it into the corner of the mosque and they say the Prophet ﷺ comes and sits on that chair and watches us. He is present. He's here, he sees and he watches and he knows. So then it is said to them in that case, if the Prophet ﷺ is in your mosque sitting on that chair, then how dare this imam of yours be leading the prayer whilst the Prophet is present? Why isn't the Prophet leading the prayer then? And your imam is leading the prayer. Who does your imam think he is? So now you have a problem. So they believe this exaggeration and this excessiveness that the Prophet is everywhere and he hears and he sees. They believe from their excessiveness and exaggeration that the Prophet ﷺ was made out of light. And so when he used to walk, he had no shadow because light penetrates light. No shadow occurs. So they said he used to walk without a shadow. Exaggeration, excessiveness. The permanent committee of the scholars, they said this is a complete lie. Nothing to show this at all, that he was made out of light and he walked without a shadow. Rather, he was human in the other regards. He was human in the other regards. He ate and he drank and he slept and the other affairs that humans do. So this now, it says, أَنزِلُ النَّاسَ مَنَازِلَهُمْ Place the people upon their levels. And people have different levels. So now, you have for example, Ahlul Ilm, the scholars. The scholars who the Prophet ﷺ said, they are the ones who take the inheritance from the prophets, the inheritors of the prophets, the ones whom Allah said to us in the Quran, ask the people of knowledge if you do not know. Those scholars have a particular rank and station. They have a particular status, no doubt. Their status is higher than the status of the common person. So you give every person their level. The scholars have their level and they have their status. They have that level and they have that status. The inheritors of the prophets, the people of knowledge. And Allah raises the people of knowledge. So they've been raised to that level and that status. Then you have from them the students of knowledge. They may be the students of the scholars. They have their status and they have their level. Then you have the smaller students of knowledge. They have their status, they have their level. Then you have others who study and they try and they learn. They have their status over and above the one who is jahil and ignorant and doesn't try. Everybody has their level. Everybody has their position. So you behave with everybody in accordance to their level and their position. And that is why Ali ibn Abi Talib said also, حَدِّثُ النَّاسَ بِمَا يَفْهَمُونَ Speak to the people with what they can comprehend. Speak to the people at a level that they understand. Don't speak to the people in a way which is above their heads and they don't understand anything you're saying. Rather speak to the people at a level that, the, that is appropriate and suitable 
indicating people are different levels. And even the scholars when they used to teach, they used to say how they will speak to people in a public lesson is different as compared to how they speak to the students in a private gathering. When they are teaching in a public lesson with public coming, they teach at a different level and a different style and a different level of detail compared to when they are in a private gathering and it is just the students. Because they recognize the level of the people. They recognize when it is an open gathering, there will be everybody coming. Some people hardly know anything. Some people maybe know more. So they will take that into consideration and give the lesson suitably so everybody can benefit. But when they have just students there, now they know these individuals are at a higher level. So it is possible to give the lesson in a greater detail and more complicated way. And they will understand. So people have different levels. And it is from wisdom that you treat the people according to those levels. And this can work in many different ways. These levels of people, even when giving da'wah, when giving da'wah, the scholars, they mention the three levels of the people. You have a level of a person who is a commoner, doesn't want to fight against you, doesn't want to oppose you. He is a commoner, even if he's been raised amongst the innovators. He himself is not an aggressive individual. He himself is not an argumentative individual. He is genuinely looking for the truth, even if it be that his background is completely from the innovators. That type of individual who is sincere, looking for the truth, not arguing, then the way you will give him da'wah will be in a much more lenient and generous and kind and open manner. But then you have a level above that. Somebody now who has some level of knowledge and they have some level of doubts against Salafiyyah. They have some level of arguments against you. So now you will not take the very open and generous approach or lenient approach as you would to the first. Now you are going to have to be a little bit more firm with the evidences and the explanations to ensure that this individual, his doubts do not take the priority. His doubts do not overcome the affair. So you need to explain with a bit more firmness and a bit more evidence and a bit more explanation regarding the affairs so that his doubts are quashed. Then the third level they say, a person who has some understanding and he has evidences to oppose you and he desires to bring forth his position against yours. How you talk to this person now? It's going to be completely different how you were talking to the first one, even how you were talking to the second one. This one has come now to try and overwhelm you with his evidences, overwhelm you with his arguments. You're going to talk to him in a much different way, in a much different type of tone, with evidences, explanations, refutations. It will be different. So depending on who you are talking to, It will be different when enjoining the good and forbidding the evil again. It all depends on who the audience is. Who are the people that you are enjoining the good upon and forbidding the evil upon? They are people who are sincere and genuine and fell into error than have softness. They are people who are purposely opposing innovators, arguing against you 
then give them a bit more harshness because harshness in that time is actually wisdom and what is required. Harshness in its place is the wisdom. And softness in its place is the wisdom. It is not wisdom to be soft everywhere and all the time. Yes, that is the general rule, being good and soft and kind. But there will be instances where you require some harshness. And it could be that this harshness is what brings a person back to his senses. Whereas if you are soft, it may not. That is why Shaykh al says, it could be with certain people that they are so oppressive, so far gone in their heads, oppressive, that if you forgive them, it actually has a bad impact on them. Because they are a certain type of person who just thinks, I got away with it, carry on with it. Look at these guys, they can't do anything. Sometimes it may be the case, the sheikh said, you do not forgive him. And you hold him accountable. Take him to the judge and the courts. Don't just forgive him. Because it is for his own benefit that you do that. It could be for his own benefit that you show him this strong position. You take him to the courts. Because otherwise forgiving him, forgiving him, forgiving him. He thinks he's getting away with it. His mind is like that. He just carries on and on and on. So from wisdom and goodness to him on this occasion is to not forgive and not to be soft. But to be harsh and take him to the court. Because that may be the only way for a certain individual to make him see sense and to rectify his actions. So everything in its place. أَنزِلُ النَّاسَ مَنَازِلَهُمْ Place the people upon their level. The shaykh, he goes on here, talks about the young and the old. When you're dealing with young people, children or youngsters, then you have a certain type of mannerism. How you talk to the youngsters, how you talk to those young children, how you give them that generosity and kindness and bring them into the da'wah. As opposed to somebody who is older than you, then you behave in a completely different way. There is no doubt about that. That isn't two-faced. That is behaving in the appropriate manner to the appropriate people. The ones who are youngsters, you behave towards them in a particular way. And those who are older than you, you will behave in a completely different way. In how your mannerisms are, and how your behaviors are, and how you talk. How you talk with the elders when you're in the university, with the mashayikh. You wouldn't sit there relaxing and joking around. You would do that to maybe a degree with the ones whom you have become acquainted with and you see that the circumstance and the context of the situation allows it. But you would be more tentative with regards to your behavior. Whereas when you are amongst your own colleagues, you may be more relaxed. That is natural. So you behave with the different people, what is appropriate. With the elders, you give that respect. And with the youngsters, you have that kindness and generosity. فَيُعَامِلَ الْعُلَمَا بِالتَّوْقِيرِ وَالْإِجْلَالِ وَالتَّعَلُّمِ وَالتَّوَاضُعِ لَهُمْ So when you're with the scholars, the elders, you behave in that manner of humbleness and modesty and a manner of you being a student seeking the knowledge, having those good mannerisms and respecting the scholar and the people of knowledge. That is how you behave. 
And as for the youngsters, then you would behave with generosity and kindness and softness and bring them into the religion and practicing. And you could say the same for a person who is maybe not practicing the religion. And he is a commoner, he's sincere. So you behave with the good mannerisms and the softness and the generosity to try and bring that person into the da'wah, try and make him see the goodness of practicing and the goodness that it does to a person who is practicing his religion. Then we move on to the next narration after that. An Abi Sarmah radiyallahu anhu qal qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam man darrah darrallahu bihi wa man shaqqah shaqqallahu alayhi This hadith it is highlighting that your end result, the recompense which comes upon you, will be in accordance to the type of deed that you did. Meaning, as the hadith says, مَنْ ضَارَّهُ that the one who harms, then harm occurs to you from Allah. وَمَنْ شَاقَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ And the one who makes difficulty, then difficulty will occur upon you. The one who behaves in a particular way, you harm others, you cause difficulty to someone, then you can expect that possibly harm and difficulty will occur upon you yourself. Because the manner in which you behave, the recompense will come upon you from the same way. That is what this hadith indicates. Where it says the one who causes harm to somebody, that then Allah will cause that harm upon you, this could occur in one of two ways. It could be that some actual harm comes upon you. You harm somebody, so then it is decreed that some actual harm occurs to you too. Or no harm may occur to you, but some goodness is taken away from you. You harm someone as a recompense upon you, maybe some maslaha, some goodness that you desired, some benefit for you is removed and taken away from you. So the recompense is upon you. فَيَدْخُلُوا فِي ذَلِكَ The Shaykh says the types of behaviors that would be considered as harming, التَّدْلِيسِ وَالْغِشْ فِي الْمُعَامَلَاتِ Deception when dealing with people. Deception when dealing with people. This is a means of harm. وَكَتْمِ الْعُيُوبِ And hiding deficiencies in goods that you sell. Hiding deficiencies is a deception. You hide a deficiency in a good 
and you sell that particular good, that item, with that hidden deficiency, then this is something which is not befitting of a Muslim. It is of no benefit to you that you do that. You think you're getting away with it, you think you're maximizing your profits, and what do you know, maybe that harm will come back to you, maybe your business fails thereafter, maybe your contracts fail thereafter, what do you know what will occur to you in the decree? You think you're benefiting by hiding, hiding those defects in those products. So hiding the defects is a type of harm. Also, وَبَيْعُ الْمُسْلِمِ عَلَى بَيْعِ أَخِيهِ وَالشِّرَاءَ عَلَى شِرَائِهِ وَمِثْلُ الْإِجَارَاتِ وَجَمِيعُ الْمَعَامَلَاتِ وَالْخِطْبَةِ عَلَى خِطْبَةِ أَخِيهِ وَخِطْبَةُ الْوَظَائِفِ الَّتِي فِيهَا أَهْلْ لَهَا قَائِمْ بِهَا فَكُلُّ هَذَا مِنَ الْمَضَارَ الْمَنْهِي عَنْهَا Engaging in activity that is going to harm your brother by trying to undercut his activities. He tries to do a deal or he's done a deal, but then you go and try and undercut that deal offering a better price so that his contract can be nullified and you get it. This type of behavior is not suitable. Clearly everybody understands it is not suitable. A contract has been made. You've agreed you're going to sell an item for a certain price to somebody. You know that person has agreed to sell that item to somebody for a certain price. And you go now, knowing the contract has been agreed by these two people, you say, I'll give you an extra hundred, just give it to me. Now you have harmed your other brother who has made an agreement. He's made an agreement to buy that item for a certain amount. You know the contract's been done. It's not allowed for you now to go on to uh, uh, to overcome that initial contract, to outweigh the initial contract now that it's been done by trying to convince the seller to give it to you for a higher price now. You'll give a higher price. That is not correct and suitable. You are now harming that first brother of yours, harming him now after he's made an agreement. And in this way, trying to interfere once agreements are made and business deals are done, Inter- uh, uh, contracts and transactions are made for you to then go in and try to uh, to take over that contract or transaction after the agreement has been made by offering more any activity of that nature. By nature, everybody understands it is wrong and clearly as a Muslim, you do not engage in that type of behavior. If you do that, hiding the defects in something you sell, or engaging in this type of deceptive behavior in business, then as the shaykh says, do not expect that Allah will put barakah into your business. Do not think Allah will put barakah into your business. You want barakah in your business, then be completely honest in what you do. Complete honesty in what you do, and that will put barakah into your business. As for deception, it will not bring you any barakah. You think by deceiving you are going to make more money. There will be no barakah in that money and what comes in the future of your business. So be completely honest and be happy with a smaller profit. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will place barakah into your business. The shaykh gives more examples. He says business partners. If your business partners deal with each other in the good manner and do not try to deceive or trick each other, you are business partners. So work together and cooperate together upon righteousness 
and do not try to uh, deceive one another or take anything additional to the other, but be upon righteousness in your agreement. Also, harming the Sheikh mentions between the spouses. The husband does not harm his wife, and the wife does not harm the husband, whether it is in your speech or in your behavior or in your actions. And that is why a Sheikh al-Abayt, a Sheikh al-Abayt, Hafizahullah mentioned, these days between the spouses there is some degree of being hasty. There is some hastiness that the minute the husband says something the wife doesn't like, instantly she has a tantrum. And the other way around too, the minute the wife says something that isn't pleasing to the husband, he slams the door and goes out with his friends for the night for the pizzas or whatever. It isn't suitable, as Sheikh Ubaid said, for the spouses to have this hastiness with one another. Of course we are human and we will say things and do things that are shortcomings from us. So the husband and the wife need to recognize that with each other. That there are going to be times maybe the wife says something displeasing to you. And there are going to be times you say something displeasing to her. But that does not mean that either of you behaves in a hasty manner, instantly becoming angry. Have a degree, have a degree of leeway. Have a degree of leeway one to another, recognizing we are all human, there may be times of anger. Have a degree of leeway. Of course, if that leeway gets transgressed, then it's another issue. But up to a certain level, you have some softness with one another and have some gentleness in your affairs. That is the narration regarding uh, the one who harms another, then Allah will place the harm upon him. And the one who makes difficulty upon another, then Allah makes the difficulty upon him, indicating that you need to behave with the people. And this is a principle that Shaykh al mentioned. Behave with other people. Just like you want other people to behave with you. How you do not want people to deceive you, then do not deceive others. How you do not want people to behave with you in a bad manner, then do not behave with others in a bad manner. Very simple principle you mentioned. Behave with people how you would love that they behave with you. So you would not like that they deceive you, you would not like that they cheat you, that they wrong you, then do not deceive and wrong and cheat the people. If everybody thought about that very simple concept, every person doing his business, you're selling your car, you're selling your item, you know there's some deficiency or fault in it, and you don't tell them, you know that if somebody sold you a vehicle or whatever it may be, and afterwards you found a deficiency or a fault, you would not be pleased and you would say, look he deceived me. He deceived me and he didn't tell me there was this fault. That's how you would behave. So then if that's how you would behave if it happened to you, Shaykh al says, make sure you do not behave like that to somebody else. Very simple, behave with the people as you would love the people to behave with you. If you think about that every time you're about to say something, every time you're about to do something, every time you're about to engage in some activity, you think about that principle. How would I like that the people behave towards me or say about me in this situation? 
Think about that, then say and speak and behave in the appropriate manner. So these are all great narrations highlighting to us the behavior of a Muslim. And truly if the Muslims, they took this on board, you would see the state of the ummah improve. When we talk about the weakness of the ummah today, and you compare our times now to the times of the Salaf, these characteristics the Salaf had them. These characteristics the ummah had them at that time. They had all of these characteristics of honor and dignity, and they were not engaged in widespread deception and cheating as you see the people now. They were engaged with honor and dignity one with another. So that reminds me again of that famous story of the misk. Most of you will have heard it, some of you maybe not. So on one occasion an individual was selling some, the fragrance, the atar, the misk. So I was bartering with him, and I offered a particular price, but he said, no, that is too low. That price you're offering, if I sell it to you for that, I'll be making a loss. I buy these for a higher price than that. So after bartering and bartering, after a couple of minutes, he gave it to me for the price that I offered. So then I said, have you sold it to me for a loss just now then? You've made a loss on that deal. Why did you sell it to me? What was the point? Surely you should have just said, absolutely no, I cannot do it. It's a loss. What's the point of selling it? You like me, you just wanted to give me, what's the problem? How come? Then he put a smile on his face, that kind of smile that indicates, well, okay, you know I got it for less than that really. (laughs) So that's how it is. This is what's widespread amongst the Muslims, this type of behavior. And that is what brings about weakness amongst the ummah. This is one of the characteristics falling short in implementing the type of honor that the Salaf had, the honor that the Prophet ﷺ taught us. The Muslims want strength. Then forget about demonstrations outside the embassy and this and that. Look at your own selves. Look at your characters and your behaviors and your morals and your dealings with one another. When the ummah is so deceptive and cheating and how the people are, then what strength do you expect to have? Strength is only in returning to the Qur'an and Sunnah. Returning to the methodology of the Salaf of this Ummah. In all of the affairs, in Aqeedah, in methodology, in your morals, behaviors, everything. That is where strength will return to the Muslim, to the unity, to the Ummah. So that is where we'll conclude today. Inshallah, in the next session, we'll start with the Hadith of Abu Dhar al-Ghafari. رضي الله عنه where the Prophet ﷺ said اتق الله حيث ما كنت وأتبع السيئة بالحسنة fear Allah wherever you may be and follow up a bad deed with a good deed then the narration after that will be الظلم ظلمات يوم القيامة oppression will be darkness for you on the day of judgment you oppress the people now that will come back to you as darkness upon you on the day of judgment. That narration next time also. And then the hadith uh, where the Prophet ﷺ told us, "Unduru ila man huwa asfala minkum. Always in your perspective, look at those who are below you. And don't look towards those who are above you. Don't say, but look at those people, they've been blessed with this and that and I've got nothing. Rather look at those who are below you, and what a tremendous advice it is, because every time you look at somebody below you, you realize 
What a tremendous amount of blessing you have. You could be homeless on the street. But then you look at somebody below you in even greater difficulty than that. Maybe even in greater difficulty than you. Being homeless, maybe somebody is in a greater state of affairs than what yours are. When you see their state, they are homeless and on top of that, they have diseases in their body on top of that. They have other issues, all types. You look at them and you say, Alhamdulillah, look at my situation. I'm so comfortable compared to him. So this is also a great advice in the narration. We'll go through that in the next session, inshaAllah ta'ala, in two weeks. So we'll conclude upon that for tonight. If there's any questions we're able to do, we can do that now. Otherwise, we'll finish off there.